What a great time of worship. And oh my goodness, it's good to see you and to share together in these times. Our text today is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And give you a moment to turn to that. And if you have picked up a bulletin as you came in and you have looked at the sermon outline and did not get up and leave with seven points, you are people of great faith, let me tell you. You are truly people of great faith. But I am excited about the word this morning and I am excited about the challenge of presenting this, not because we are so conscious of time, but because of in my heart, there is a takeaway, I believe, in at least one, maybe more, of these points that I am sharing with you. When I read the passage here in a moment, it tells us very plainly that this is, these are events, I have gleaned them from Scripture, of the 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus, His ascension to heaven, and then 10 days later, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. And so, years ago, I saw a sermon entitled After Easter, written by a minister of another century, even before the last one, and talking about the things that came after Easter, such as the New Testament church, the Great Commission, Pentecost, Christians worshiping on Sunday in celebration of the resurrection. Well, I've done a personal journey through the scriptures of the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension and how that Jesus ministered, ministered to his followers and prepared them for the day of his ascension. And he ministers to us today in those areas. So I'm excited and I pray that over the next few moments that this will speak to your hearts. Let me pray again. Lord Jesus, I pray that we journey in these few moments with you for those 40 days and see how you touched lives and how you reassured and how you forgave and how you restored and how you blessed those who had placed their faith in you and prepared them for the day of your ascension and the mission, the assignment and the power that you had left for them. Forgive us of our sins, I pray Jesus that one or more of these points will touch our hearts. In your precious name we pray, amen. I read the passage of Scripture, the opening verses of the book of Acts, and we know that Luke, who authored the Gospel of Luke, also has authored the book of Acts. And he is writing this to a friend, and so he says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's the Gospel of Luke. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive. And this next phrase is so powerful. We just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we continue to do so. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I want to begin each of these encounters with a question and that question may be what touches your heart and causes you to think for a moment 
And I'm just, we'll be very brief with each point, three to four minutes a point. And if you can do the math, that's 90 minute sermon. So this nine o'clock service, I'm telling you now, y'all gotta wake up, amen? Y'all gotta wake up. But I do, I just want all of this, it's just so powerful. And I would say the first question that I would ask, and it just seems so in your face right out of the box, and that is, are you or have you ever been disappointed in God? That was one of the first encounters that we can understand in the passage of time that Jesus had, and that is where he connected the dots or he helped them deal with their disappointment. The Gospel of Luke chapter 24, that's the road to Emmaus. And the Bible tells us that this happened the afternoon after he was resurrected that morning. And people are beginning to leave Jerusalem and go back home after the Passover, after all of those tragic, traumatic, and unbelievable events of the weekend, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and now word of this resurrection of Jesus. And it tells us there, and I simply paraphrase, I will not go to all of these passages, that there were two disciples going back home from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they were discussing all of the events of the past couple of days, and by that miracle of the power of God, Jesus joins them on the road to Emmaus. He joins them, and he asks them, what are you talking about? After he had heard them for a few minutes, and they asked him, don't you love these questions? Don't you love the Word of God? When they ask him, are you the only man that doesn't know what happened this weekend? <laughs> Glory to God. He is the only man that knew what happened, amen? They said, are you the only one that doesn't know what happened this weekend? And they began to tell him, and the key phrase here is, we had hoped he was the Messiah. And they were disappointed. They were disappointed, and Jesus help them deal with their disappointment. James Dobson in a book entitled, When God Doesn't Make Sense, I know that he is saying this out of life experience, not some kind of scientific research, that at some point or the other, maybe 99% of Christians hit what they call the betrayal barrier, and that is an experience in life where we may not feel like God has let us down or that he has betrayed us or he has disappointed us, but maybe we are wondering where in the world is God in this situation? Where is he? And we know that by the end of the afternoon as they reach Emmaus, and I'm trying to calculate how long this conversation took place. We don't know where he joined them in the journey, but it's seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus and they're just walking and talking and we know that it was dinner time when they reached Emmaus because Jesus sat down with them, was going to have dinner with them. And we know that as he prayed and broke the bread, he disappeared. Their eyes were open and they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us? When we are disappointed, let's follow the scriptural passage that happened on the road to Emmaus. And that is number one, Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. I have people come to me sometimes and they are very upset. They are caught very much in grief and, you know, and, and they'll say, I, you know, I know you're not supposed to question God, uh, you know, and, 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 and I'm trying not to be mad at God. And I really got to watch this time here. Well, one of the first founding 
ministers for hospice came and spoke at First Baptist Avondale Estates while I was pastor there. And he said, anger is an emotion that doesn't float. It always has a direction. Anger turned outward is aggression. Anger turned inward is depression. And he said, the best place to turn your anger is to God. He understands. He is big enough, and he can heal your heart. And I'm telling you, if you are disappointed, you need to tell it to Jesus. Amen? You need to tell it to Jesus. And then, just like he did with them on the road to Emmaus, he began with Moses all the way through the prophets and brought the scriptures up to him to help them understand that what had happened, God was all over it. Search the scriptures. And Jesus will open your eyes. And we will begin to partially understand and to heal a broken heart and to move on with faith in God. Second question, you see how we're gonna operate here. Are you afraid? The next encounter was a group of people who were afraid. He calmed their fears. In the Gospel of John chapter 20, you see verses 19 through 23 here, it tells us that it is that evening on the road to Emmaus, it was the afternoon of the resurrection. Now it is the evening, and it tells us here that the disciples are barricaded, we're assuming, in that upper room for fear that they are going to be the next ones to be marched up to Golgotha and be crucified. They are terrified. They are terrified, and it says here that they are there for fear. And Jesus then came to them. No open doors, no open windows. He appeared in their midst, and it says there that he showed them his hands, and he showed them his side, and then, he said, then it says they were glad. They were glad. Are you afraid? I talk to people so many times facing great challenges, crisis, and fears of life. And every once in a while, one will say, or let me say a lot, one will say, I've got a peace about this. I've got a peace about this. And you know why they can say that. Because they have turned it over to God. I pray nobody ever becomes like Quit talking about some experiences in your life. But this is so powerful. As you know, when we got that diagnosis with my wife of cancer, she went online to Facebook. And there's where the phrase that she did not coin, but she sure made it popular, told all of her friends, I can't fight cancer. God's got this. Amen? And so I'm telling you, Jesus comes into their midst. He says to them, peace. He shows them his hands and his side. God's got this. And I am by your side. And in this passage is one of those versions of the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit, letting them know, I am with you. And you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. There's an incredible story that comes out of a book entitled The Last Hundred Days of World War II. 
And I, I would think it's a historical book, and I would not think that then, now, later, President Eisenhower, I believe it happened. But our troops were amassed for an offensive, ready to cross a river and engage in battle. General Eisenhower was reviewing the troops, and as he walked down that front line, he noticed one very young private who obviously was very afraid. And General Eisenhower asked him, he said, son, are you afraid? He said, yes, sir, I am. General Eisenhower said to him, I am too. Will it be all right if I walk with you to the river? Yes, sir. They marched to the river. General Eisenhower then had to go back to command the battle and said to him, are you okay, young man? And the young man said, I feel a lot better now. General Eisenhower said, and I do too. I want to tell you, friend, are you afraid? God's got this. He's by your side. The power of the Holy Spirit. And he will walk you through it and say peace. That third encounter, are you or have you suffered a crisis of faith? He helped Thomas believe. Thomas was not there in that first appearance in that upper room. It is amazing the speculation of, why wasn't Thomas there? Well, I'm going to give you my opinion, and if you read some commentaries, you'll get a bunch of others. But based upon the depth of the Apostle Thomas's crisis of faith and denial, it wouldn't surprise me if he was hiding in a remote location and thinking that this thing about y'all get together in the upper room is a setup so they can arrest them all in one place. He's not there. But it was an open windows devotion this week entitled Second Chance. The apostle Thomas got a second chance to see the risen Lord. Eight days later, it says, they were together in that room. Thomas was there. Jesus appeared. Jesus appeared, and Thomas had plainly said, I'm not going to believe that he was here until I see his hands, the print of the nails. I put my finger in the print. I put my hand in his side. I will not believe. And eight days later, Jesus appears. Says, Thomas, see my hands. Touch my hands. Thomas, see my side. And touch my side. And Thomas then said, my Lord and my God. Have you ever had a crisis of faith? Are you in one right now having trouble believing something? What do we do? Here's what we do. We pray like a distraught father did in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9 who brings his son who is seized by a demon of muteness that is a violent demon and asks Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus asked him, do you believe? And the man said, yes, I believe. And do you know what he asked Jesus next? Help my unbelief. We're only human. We have crisis of faith. There's things that we may have difficulty seizing. And just like if we are disappointed in God, we need to say, God, I don't understand this. Help me. And that is when we're having trouble believe something, say, God, help my unbelief. Give me faith. 
the man's son was miraculously healed. The little heading in my scripture over this Thomas encounter says, seeing is believing. You say, well, I won't believe unless I can see. Some years ago, and I'm sure it's prevalent now, there was a real movement across the country to try to uh, convince us that there was no such thing as a devil. It was a fable. You know, it had been made up to scare us and all of that. John Bassanio, a powerful evangelist, pastor then of First Baptist Houston, made this statement. He says, I know that there's a devil because I have seen his tracks. We are seeing the tracks of evil today. So we know there's a devil. But I want to do the flip side, and that is I know that there is a God and a Jesus Christ because I have seen his tracks, amen, down through, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Everything good in this world is because Jesus passed this way, friends. And I believe in Jesus Christ. So seeing is believing, but listen, touching is real. And I don't want to get so far out there because I can't even put it into words, but I believe that in the spirit, just like Thomas did in the flesh, we can touch Jesus. But let me tell you what is so more important, friend, is that he will touch you. He touched me. He touched me. And oh, the joy that filled my soul. He touched me and made me whole. You have trouble believing? Pray for faith. Jesus will touch you. We move along. Do you feel like a failure? Notice I said feel like a failure, not you're a failure. He restored Peter. That's in this same chapter, chapter 21. We would say that Peter had failed miserably. At least I'll guarantee that's the way Peter felt. Unbelievable, the scene of Jesus standing there, brutalized. And Peter is in a courtyard, and they make eye contact, and Peter actually, in his day, has been cursing that he didn't know this man, Jesus. And then the rooster crows. And in the movies, we see Peter running away, leaning against a wall in a dark corner somewhere and weeping uncontrollably. I believe in phrases, I believe it's in grace, that we should say that I failed, not that I'm a failure. We should be reminded that failures are not final. And John Maxwell's book, which wrote, writes so many wonderful self-personal development entitled Failing Forward, that when we fail, friend, let's let it propel us forward in our life. And we see the prophecy of what's going to happen to Peter in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. Jesus says to Peter, Satan has desired to have you and to sift you like weed. I mean to shape the very core of your being. But I have prayed for you. And you know what Jesus then said? But when you return to me, Peter it ain't going to be nice, but you're coming back. And when you do, strengthen your brethren. Teach them from your 
failures. Encourage them for what has happened to you. I think about the story so often of a young executive who made a mistake. He forgot to file certain corporate legal papers on time and the company was denied certain benefits and they could have, they could have benefited about $10,000 in profit and it didn't happen. And so the CEO called the young man in and the CEO asked the young man, says, what do you think I ought to do about this? And the young man said, well, I think you're probably going to fire me. And the young man and the CEO said, fire you? I just spent $10,000 training you. Did you hear that? I just spent $10,000 training you. I wonder what if Jesus had have said to Peter on that fateful day, which is such a precious scene, breakfast by the sea. Now, Peter, what do you think I ought to do to you? And Peter probably would have said, well, I think you probably ought to deny me and send me away. And Jesus would say, what? I just died for you. Now you're going to live for me. <laughs> I just died for you. You're going to live for me. And Peter eventually died for Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we say, I failed you, Lord. And if, and if Jesus said, what do you think that I ought to do about it? Don't tell him, Lord, if you would just leave me over the shadows, nobody remember me, nobody know me. And Jesus says, no, you're coming out and you're going to make a difference in the world for me. He restored him. Number five, who's your one? Who's your one? The next encounter, Jesus sends them to the whole world with the gospel. If you followed us, we have come to the end of the Gospel of John. We are now moving into the book of Acts. This is the Great Commission back at Matthew 28. It is rephrased in Acts 1 that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. What? Samaria? And the whole world. And this is what is fascinating, and I saw a documentary on it as to where each of the apostles went after the ascension. And we believe that Thomas went to India. And there are relics there of where he died for Jesus at the point of spears, at the point of spears. It's amazing. There's a community in India today of Christians that honor Thomas, and guess what? 2,000 years later, they are singing the Psalms in Aramaic. We believe that Thomas also made it to Ethiopia and China and where all the others went. It is just fascinating. And so we say, well, I don't know about this going into all the world, but here's where I ask you the question, who's your one? You hear me quote often C.S. Lewis, screw tape letters, where the demon has been assigned to a person to keep them from becoming a Christian. Thank God he failed. But I don't know, there may be a book out there somewhere where, let me tell you, somebody needs to write that every Christian has been assigned an unbeliever to help them come to Jesus. Did you know that? Who's your one? Who in your life that you absolutely can't stand the thought of going to heaven without? 
Jesus has assigned that person to you. I'll always remember standing out in front of a funeral home one night, visiting with family and friends of the deceased. I did not know him. I was not the minister for the funeral. And because of that, outside we were gathered in a crowd and members of his graduating class were there and they began to ask, well, where do you go to church? They didn't have a clue. Do you ever make a profession of faith? They didn't have a clue. And all of a sudden, a voice out of the crowd, and that individual would sit in front of me in the balcony of First Baptist Avondale for years. He's made this statement, somebody missed an assignment. Who's your one? Who's your one? And one at a time, we win the world. Number six, we're doing good, aren't we? Yeah, amen, Bill, you're doing great, brother. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing outstanding, glory to God. He sent them to the whole world, who's your one? He promised them to go with them. And I'll be with you even to the ends of the earth and you're going to receive the promise that your father gave, and you're going to receive power. And Jesus promised them, I'll be with you. 1979, my youngest daughter was born. Our youngest daughter was born. Charlotte moved into some kind of very mysterious health crisis. And we thought we had lost her then in 1979. And they rushed us to Shands in Gainesville, and it was a very, 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 very weird, very rare disease, leptospirosis. And the only hope was that her body would fight it off. And thank God, her body did. On the way, they had her in an ambulance and were taking her. I ran by the house, secured the girls, got family there, grabbed all the mail and headed down. And that night as we settled in, I began to open the mail and I, I've always been members of book clubs and just let the books roll in, but my wife don't have to know that, okay? Is, is that all right? She don't have to know that. So I opened this book and it was, Charles Stan, uh, it was Charles Allen's latest book. You are never alone. And he wrote about leaving his wife at the hospital, not aware that she would be able to come home and he's sitting there, and I'm sure in this incredible parsonage of First Methodist in Houston, and said he'd never felt more alone in his life, and he heard the voice speak to his heart, Charles, you are never alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you even unto the ends of the earth. And the last... He went back to heaven, but he's coming back. And so after all of this, 40 days have passed, friends, and he's taken up and disappears out of their sight. And not only do I believe that those poor disciples were Southern Baptists, but I believe they were rednecks. And they're standing there looking like, Wow, did y'all see that? 
And then an angel says, what's wrong with you guys? Get out of here and get busy. Because the way you saw him go, he's coming back. So here's our question. Are you ready? Are you ready? Praise the Lord. I pray at least one of these speaks to your heart and that you will respond in this invitation.